podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 200, changes in aviation since 2011. That was episode one coming up next in this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Eric Crump, Larry Overstreet, Russ Rosleski, Tom Frick, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri. Well, folks, welcome to the Stuck Mike Avcast. This is a really special episode for us, and uh, we are actually at the 200th episode. Again, this is since 2011 was our first episode. It's exciting to have everybody on. Hey, everybody, welcome to the podcast. This is awesome. This is uh, we're we're cheering for the fact that we finally made it to 200. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> And then, that, oh, nice. and it's awesome. I mean, it's been just uh, an incredible ride, and you never know, especially in aviation and podcasting, and just in aviation in general, where the world is going to go. I mean, we can always try to predict the future, but here we are looking at the past, and we're going to talk about some of the changes in aviation since episode one. But uh, joining uh, this evening actually is uh, Victoria Newville and uh, Rick Felty, Larry Overstreet, and Tom Frick, and Russ Wozleski, all from different points on the globe. And this is what the coolest thing is about aviation and aviation podcasts is we can all join together collectively in this really fun thing that we do. Uh, this is our hobby. It's our passion. And we can do it just here online through places throughout the world. I think that's just so Actually, amazingly enough, I think some people don't realize this, haven't even met each other. I know uh, Rick and I, I, I was I was thinking we were going to try to get together, and I think this might be the year since I've been in okay. Boston quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, um, I'll, I'll uh, come out there. Or, or the, the, the mystique, though, is still there. You know, it's Rick, yes, you it really, is. are you really Rick? You know, it's like. <laughs> <laughs> well, you and, yeah, I mean, you've met, I, I'm the one who hasn't traveled enough to meet everybody. So yeah, but I you're can, in that big city. And sure. we, can, we can all come visit you, that's for sure. We should do well, a podcast up there. Yeah, I should. I think it's a great idea. But uh, anyway, before we get in, this is going to be a really cool podcast. I'm so excited because of the fact that we're going to look back at some of the cool things that have, ha have happened in aviation since 2011. Uh, one of the neat things about this podcast, and we've been doing this for quite some time now, is the fact that we haven't missed a regular episode ever since we've started, and that's on the 1st and the 15th. So hats off to uh, Rick Felty, by the way, for doing that, the producer here of, of the and the guy who does all the, the fancy stuff in the background for doing that. We were appreciate uh, what you do for the podcast that's for sure rick well it's a lot of fun and yes. i i love doing it so it works out yeah that's very very well produced I, I appreciate that let's do the pre-flight uh, before we begin, of course, uh, we have a couple announcements. Oh, from our sponsors, AviationCareersPodcast.com, where you can find scholarships, career coaching, interview prep, and more uh, courses. You'll see more courses as far as uh, weather and also preparing for your check ride. For, so check those out. Oh, by the way, we also have coupons. Uh, don't forget, you can use Shamrock and receive 15% off all the products and services out there. That actually is at uh, AviationCareersPodcast.com courses. You can also link there from StuckMikeAvcast.com slash 
courses. Uh, more and more courses are being placed out there with different partners in aviation training. Uh, Eric Crump is now developing a course online about ACS. He's doing a great job. Of course, he actually was involved in the prototyping of ACS. He's taking it from a very interesting standpoint. It's going to be a, a bit of a long course, but it's going to be interesting. It's about 12 hours long, so you're gonna, I hope you enjoy that. They'll be coming out here shortly. Couple of news and announcement items: uh, planes, trains, and automobiles. Uh, that was passed. We got some interviews at uh, at the show, and we'll be placing them out here. But I do want to make you aware of the fact that we're starting to put more of these on uh, the chats from the deck. It's actually something that they've been doing over at Sun and Fun and Sun and Fun Radio, and you'll also be able to hear some of those on liveatc.net/snf. And now that we're talking about that, by the way, 2019 Sun and Fun Flying and Expo is coming up. We've been invited, uh, Stuck Mike Avcast, myself uh, in particular, to run actually the live show for the entire event. It's going to be a lot of work, and you know that at Stuck Mike, we love to volunteer, and uh, everybody at this podcast is always invited to come uh, volunteer at their event. If you want to volunteer and help us out, we'd love to have you. Just let us know. Shoot us an email, uh, stuckmikeavcast at gmail.com. Uh, I know that I'll be there. Uh, Tom will be there. I think, Victoria, you're coming too, right? I am there. Awesome. Awesome. Larry's going to be there. Uh, he's going to be there for actually quite some time, I think, right? You're coming over in your motorhome. I think that's really cool. Yeah, we'll be there starting the uh, uh, 2nd of March. Oh, good. Well, we can hang out then. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, for a while. Hopefully, it'll stay, stay a little bit longer. And, Russ, I think you're flying in, but not in uh, 182 this time, are you? <laughs> not this time. You, of course, every year I have all these weather problems. I'll just airline it in. I think it'll be much uh, much more relaxed. <laughs> cool. Yes, but I will be there. Absolutely. Cool, cool, cool. And then, Tom, of course, you're always you're always doing a whole bunch. You know, Tom does a lot of heavy lifting there. Literally does a lot of heavy lifting. He's always out there helping out. Put the radio station together. I think people don't realize that, uh, yeah, this is really just amazing uh, what he's done as far as fix up the deck and uh, has done some great work. And we appreciate that at uh, Sun of Fun Radio. So thanks, Tom. I can't wait to see you there. Yep. Looking forward to it. <laughs> awesome. Uh, let's see. Other news and announcements. There's, you know, there's this really cool event uh, in uh Women in Aviation, great organization, and uh, they have this annual event. So, uh, Victoria, why don't you tell us a little bit about that and, and where it is and what the dates are for that event? Yeah, uh, Long Beach, California, um, the, was the second weekend of March, the, thir- uh, the 14th and the 15th, is the Women in Aviation International Convention. Um, there is lots going on. This is actually my first time, so I haven't been to one before, and I'm really excited to get together with everyone. And uh, don't let the name fool you. Uh, men are welcome to be members of Women in Aviation, and there's a lot that they can benefit from going to. So it is open to all sexes. Anyone can head out, um, especially people looking for jobs in airlines. There's a career fair, lots of exhibitors, lots of really um neat uh, guest authors and speakers, and I will be um, accepting a scholarship at the scholarship breakfast, so I'm really excited about that, and uh, just kind of get to meet everyone, so I'll either have um, my stuck mic bright orange shirt or my aviation insurance resources blue shirt on all the time, so just uh, take a look for me, and feel free to pull me aside and say hi. 
Yeah, and please do that with Victoria and any of us. If you see us, I know sometimes we're talking, but please like wave at us and stuff like that. Maybe take a selfie. Uh, sometimes we're involved with an interview, but uh, we'd love to say hi to you. So kind of, kind of hang out there. One thing that you touched on, Victoria, is the fact that it's open to everybody. That's another announcement I forgot to mention. Is uh, Aviation Careers Podcast is actually now our corporate sponsor for women in aviation. Uh, we really believe in this organization, and I love the fact that you said it's open to everyone it's a big tent invites everybody in the career fairs are wonderful the scholarships are incredible they give away over six hundred seventy-five thousand dollars in scholarships every year victoria you are uh, actually the or will be the recipient of that scholarship and be awarded at the event so congratulations again i know we talked about it before but that's thanks awesome. for that recommendation letter yeah i just didn't know if i was allowed to announce it last episode but now i can so. <laughs> And and that's really cool. By the way, uh, just a, a, a quick uh, selfish plug here. The scholarships guide online has all the women in aviation scholarships in there. And when they're not in there, we have links that you can find more. They're adding scholarships all the time. So check it out. By the way, that guide is only 10 bucks. It's a year access. Uh, and, uh, and just by that $10, you can get some... Uh, Really uh, great scholarships money. I don't know if we can announce how much the scholarship was uh, that you received, uh, Victoria, but I know they vary from like $500 all the way up to 15000 and more. Yeah, the ones directly from Women in Aviation, um, mine was $4,300 towards a CFI certificate. And then there were ones uh, I saw up there for $6,300. So it, it was... There's a lot of money out there, um, and all you have to do is apply. You know, the worst they can say is no, and that scholarship guide is very helpful because you do have to do a lot of research online to find all the scholarships available to you. So it's nice to just spend ten bucks and have it all in one place, and then all you have to do is apply. Awesome, and I'm glad it's helping people. It's like I've always said with the scholarships guide. There's we'll never make more than is given away in that scholarships guide. So that's kind of a cool thing. Something I can always have as a claim to fame, uh, and in uh, kind of a legacy there. So it's a wonderful thing that that you've done that and gone out there. But tell people a little bit about that. It's not just for people that want to go on in careers. It's for everything in aviation. Women in aviation wants to promote everybody. So they have scholarships for people like yourself that want to become, uh, you know, a flight instructor. You, you saw some other ones out there, didn't you? There's some um, for drones, a lot of maintenance scholarships, dispatchers, um, trying to think of others, but you name it, it's, it's available. And yeah, you don't have to be a career pilot. I am not a career pilot. This is something I do on the fun and on the side. And it's nice to have a really good organization help back uh, my passion and to make future aviators. So I can't say enough about Women in Aviation and uh, go check out their way, website. Check out uh, Women in Aviation in Long Beach, California. And uh, future events, uh, they show up everywhere. Now entering cruise flight. Anyway, let's move on to the cruise flight. Again, we've been doing this since May 9th. That was our birthday, May 9th, 2011. And this is our 200th episode. We, uh, I know I hear from you. We'd love, you'd love to see more episodes. We're doing some of those. We're trying to keep it consistent with the 1st and the 15th of every month. But if you'll notice, we're coming out with different interviews in between some of those shows, some special episodes, and we're going to keep doing that for you. We love bringing this to you, and we hope that it really inspires you to, to actually go out there and fly. And, and do something you really enjoy in life. And, and gosh, 
flying just adds so much to your life even if you're not doing it for a career it really does it helps you in many different ways and so it's great to do something that you have to really concentrate on takes your mind off of uh, of the real world as i say uh and in your regular job but it's interesting that we're talking about significant changes affecting general aviation since our episode one in may 9th 2011 I was a little reticent to talk about this thing, you know, what really has happened. And then I started the list and I was like, oh my God, we could sit here and talk for 10 hours about the the things that have changed. But there's some really big things that have come up. And uh, I know one that affects me a lot is one that, I, Russ, you had suggested. And, and, and that was the actual the proliferation of tablets and, and EFBs. I mean, uh, and Russ, I mean, tell us why, you know, how has it affected your life? And also, what have you seen as far as changes? Well, to me, this is the, the absolute biggest change that we've had in aviation since, like I said, 2011. I, I remember going to Oshkosh in 2010, and I flew there from from here in Oklahoma. And I had, I, I don't know, three or four airport facility directories, you know, several sectional charts to get up there, you know, the IFR and route charts just in case, the approach charts, all this kind of stuff. Plus, it happened over a, a, a change date in the uh, publication, so I had the whole duplicates had to come back. I mean, I had, you know, 20, 30 pounds of, of paper to do this flight. And I get up to Oshkosh 2010 and I'm talking with a friend of mine. He says, you know, you really need to go over and talk to the, go over to whatever hangar it was and talk to these guys at this little company called four flight. And so, oh, okay, whatever. I went over there and they, they had, you know, like the smallest booth you could have at, at Oshkosh. And it was two people. I think there were two co-founders. And they had one of these iPads, which were brand new at the time. The iPad came out in, I think, April. And so here it was in July. And they're showing, I got all these charts. I'm like, oh my goodness, that's exactly what I need. So it was, you know, a month later, I, I, I bought one just for that. And, you know, since then, we've seen such a dramatic shift in, in the amount of paper that we just don't carry and isn't even produced. I mean, you go into most... Uh, FBOs and you can't even buy sectional charts anymore. You got to order them from you know, Sporties or wherever. But uh, even the FAA reduced their their printing and, and all this really a fundamental shift in how we get our our aeronautical data. And I mean, it's just it's all due to these, you know, the tablets and the different um, EFB programs that are out there. So we get to now and I, I hardly fly with anybody as an instructor who isn't using some kind of a, of a tablet. It's, it's, uh, what's the word ubiquitous. <laughs> it's, it's all over the place. <laughs> um, so yeah, for, for me, this is just one of the most significant changes we've had. And if, if, uh, you're somebody who hasn't flown much since episode one, 2011, well, this is something that you will definitely have to uh, have to learn about and work with your your instructor on is all this uh, tablet and EFB stuff. Definitely. With that said, I mean, there's uh, a lot of a lot more things we can learn about it. Use it as a tool. Uh, I just re- when you said that, I was like, it can't be that the iPad's been around for such a short amount of time. But it's incredible how such a device has has changed our lives. It's changed uh, the airlines too. I, mean, I do not. We don't have any charts anymore. 
and we don't have any manuals anymore. Everything is on the iPad. And, uh, you know, I look next to me where there was this big square area to put all your charts in your chart bag, and that's gone. Uh, in, in our airplanes, we don't have the, the actual charts with us many times. And uh, we look at this, this iPad, we make sure that we have all our charts up to date, and we have just a, a plethora of information that we can actually grab from there. And it, it's incredible, I feel, how much safer it's actually made us and made flying when you do have that EFB in front of you and the, and the tablets in general. I think that's absolutely terrific. As a matter of fact, uh, Tom Frick is going to be talking about this at the upcoming uh, Florida Pilot Conference on May 4th, and uh, that's going to be in Orlando, Florida at the Florida Hotel. Tom, uh, maybe you could give us a quick peek into uh, your look back, but also into what you'll be talking about, about the EFBs and the tablets and how they've changed our lives. Sure, and I agree with Russ, it's a, and, and you as well. It's amazing how uh, far this thing's come in such a short amount of time and how reliant we've gotten upon them. Um, you know, a lot of um, the the things with the tablets, and, and I'm talking to a group of people who are probably newer pilots, um, you know, and it's kind of a know-your-audience kind of thing, but uh, using the um, iPads in the cockpit, you know, has some inherent pitfalls as well, and, and that's some of the things as we learn how to use this new technology, how do we integrate it into our learning and, and uh, keep ourselves safe in the sky? You know, um, there's all sorts of things. And, you know, in, in my world right now, I mean, the, the iPad has all of this information, as you said. I don't carry any charts anymore. I don't carry any plates. I don't have to do all that stuff. And yet it's still even a backup because a lot of the systems that are in the plane now also carry all of the information that I need. It has all the manuals. It has all the plates. It has all the, the navigational stuff that I need. And the iPad is a backup. And, and how can I use that safely and integrate it with the you know, um, electronic flight decks that we have now. And, and it's just amazing how fast the, the technology is changing and how um, specific it's getting to each um, application depending on the mission that you're flying. And uh, it, it's kind of really cool to watch that thing grow. So um, um, proliferation of tablets is, is definitely a good way to put it. And I, I can't wait to see what they're going to do with these in the future. And uh, they've become more reliable. They last longer. And uh, if you have a couple of them in the cockpit, there's your backup right there. So uh, it's going to be exciting to see what, what happens moving forward. With that said, um, there are some safety concerns, obviously. And, and it's been addressed over the years. Uh, sometimes we get fixated on the tablet and we forget to actually fly the airplane. It's kind of like people that text while they drive, you know, so you don't want to actually be too distracted from that so really the proliferation of the tablets uh, and the efbs uh, absolutely amazing uh, what it's done for us in aviation and how it's actually made us our, our world a different world that's for sure and the other thing i forgot to mention it's taking a lot of weight out of the airplane too i mean we don't have to carry all those those big you know bags and and charts and stuff like that it makes it easier to do an update hit a button that's it you're done you mean taking weight off of the pilot so he doesn't have to drag it around the airport <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, I used to use it to actually exercise. Now I actually need to go to the gym instead. Uh, but you're right about that. Uh, it's like many other things. They've gotten lighter and more efficient. Um, the other thing that I think we've seen just as far as a big change uh, in life, and I think this is really cool, and I'd love to – I, I know that it's changing for the airline specifically and for everybody, and that's ADSB. Uh, ADSB is going to be a huge difference. I think uh, uh, was it uh, uh, Russ? I think you had actually put this on the list, uh, but ADSB 
is is phenomenal in the fact that it, it gives so much information to the pilot and to the other pilots in the area. So, so Russ, what what has it done for you actually? Have you seen any significant changes in your flying? I, I honestly can't imagine how we used to fly without having weather and traffic and all that on board the airplane. Of, co- of course, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but just you know, you know, I've been flying for long enough that I remember you know. You're out there flying. You don't have any idea what the weather is 100 miles ahead of you. No idea. Yeah, you could call up flight service, and we did, but you know that's not a graphic representation. That's him trying to describe it in words, right? And now, what do we do? We just bring up our iPad, like we just talked about, and, and we look at the weather, and we can use that hours in advance to plan, okay, I'm going to go you know further north than I wanted to go and just go around this whole weather cell, where in the past, we would probably not even know about it until we got real close, and mm-hmm. then... Do we go through it or do we just land? So for me, it's made a lot of flights possible that I might not have been able to do in the past just because you have such a great idea of where the weather is and you can get the METARs and TAFs you know, from you know, across the other side of the country and that kind of thing. Of course, you know, just like with, with the iPads and the, the EFB functionality, there are some definite pitfalls too, which have been talked about many, many times on on different uh, programs. With you know the the lag time of of Nexrad radar, and you know don't use it uh, tactically to try to steer yourself through storms, but use it more strategically in a broader sense and that kind of thing. But once you know how to use it, I mean these things are are really just amazing. Um, the other part of ADSB, of course, is the traffic. And just Sunday, uh, so I was three days ago now as we're doing this, I was out and it was a, like the first sunny day we've had here in Oklahoma in weeks. <laughs> so everybody was flying. And most of them were showing up on that, you know, on the, on the tablet. And we were able to uh, see them before we, before we would have normally. So it's just an incredible tool. And, and like I said, it, it's almost to the point where how did we do this before? I think the part about the traffic amazes me. I mean, uh, we were discussing that the other day, saying, "Wow, I mean, we, you know, my friend's got a, he has a Baron." He was saying, "Gosh, I didn't know all that stuff was out there, all that traffic." Um, and he'll get a traffic alert, and he won't see it, but he sees it on the ADSB and on the traffic. So, uh, the traffic information is great. Uh, it's also uh, just. Just in general, next gen is just absolutely phenomenal, which uh, ADSB is under. Interestingly enough, um, I just yesterday uh, was using ADS uh, C, you know, ADS uh, CPDLC, ADSC. What's ADSC? That's uh, you know, contract, and that's where we have a contract with communications uh, through Air Inc. And we actually will. I and this is wild. I went over the Atlantic and was flying for two hours and talked to nobody because it did automatic position reporting. That actually has been a huge change in that I didn't have to wait uh, and and listen to hey, there's all this scratchy stuff and it's just crazy how um, you know how it's changed our ability to communicate because. Think about this. I just say, okay, I'm going to send a text and ask for a climb to flight level 370, and they text me back and say, okay, you can go ahead and, um, you know, go ahead and climb. So I think that's that's really, really cool. Um, and, and one of the things that I think is interesting is the fact that um, when I talk to people, the military has been using that technology for quite some time, and I think that is phenomenal. Uh, one of the other things that I think is so cool with ADSB is the it's going to be the ability to actually fly behind somebody. 
and say, okay, stay within three minutes or of another aircraft or three miles, et cetera. And I think that is absolutely cool. As a matter of fact, the last experimental aircraft that I flew, I did the certification flight for ADS-B in and out uh, on the Airbus on the A320 and uh, with the FAA. And it was just, I was sitting there in awe. I was like, wow, this is like so cool. I, here I am over the ocean. We went out over the Atlantic and I was able to, to follow behind another aircraft uh, within three minutes. Just absolutely phenomenal. But uh, anyway, Tom, I know you've used ADS-B quite a bit, and, uh, and you've had various different experiences since you fly uh, some pretty sophisticated aircraft and uh, many different types. I know uh, Russ has also. Uh, but, uh, but what's, you know, kind of, you know, what are some of your experiences with ADS-B? Yeah, so um, you know, I've I've tried several different products, um, just trying to get ADSB in into a plane, and and teaching in small single engine aircraft, and working in a practice area that's right up against a Class Bravo airspace makes it kind of busy. And you know, I used to, you know, just fat, dumb, and happy fly out to my practice area and visually be out there and looking for other airplanes, and and was really um, didn't feel unsafe at any time. And, you know, was always clear of airplanes and um, I'm here talking. So they were always successful flights. Um, but uh, I started getting into a couple of different ADSB products when they became a little bit more available and um, was actually very surprised at how many aircraft were around me that I had never seen before. Um, I know that um, in the G1000 planes that I was flying, they have a, um, a TIS system, a traffic information system, which kind of links in with um, the local radar environment. And it always had kind of a lag to it. So if it was saying that if it was giving you a traffic alert that was off of your right wing, it had probably moved whatever, whichever direction they were traveling, you know, either in front of you or behind you. And you had to look in a different place. Um, ADSB, the products I've been using there seem to be a little bit more real time. If it says that there's a plane off of my right wing, it's probably off of my right wing and it's easier to spot that way. Um, I've used like little different products like, um, um, the 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 one that you could build out of uh, uh, what was it a Raspberry Pi was the Stratix system um, was basically an ADSB in receiver and works just fine and it transmits via Bluetooth to your your uh, iPad and you can see traffic on whatever EFB that you're using. Um, I've used the Stratus. I've used the GDL thirty nine from Garmin, um, and, and they all presented all very similar. And it, it's it's kind of really cool to see that information come in. Um, Weather-wise, the, the the reporting stations on the ground really give you good information. It does have a little bit of a lag behind it, and um, in foreflight, it seems like the um, the resolution is a little um, less than what you'd get if you were um, using just a normal uh, Wi-Fi connection on the ground. But it's surprising the uh, the level of information, the sophistication you can get even in a small airplane. And you know, I was gonna, I was gonna ask Victoria if uh, she uses anything like that, maybe in that little tail dragger she's flying. <laughs> tail dragger doesn't have much right now. <laughs> it's actually very, um, you know, I don't even take an iPad or anything with me, and I just stay pretty local. So when you guys were all talking about traffic and flying with the iPads, I was like, I have not done any of that lately. Um, I, I need to get caught up on the technology, actually. And uh, our company plane has a um, 796 and all that fun stuff in there. So that's on my list of uh, things to learn. And it's got the ADSB in and out now as well. So I need to catch up because I've been flying a little too old-fashioned. 
<laughs> and and sometimes it's fun to fly old-fashioned. I have all this popular equipment, but with that said, it just sure does mean it to uh, make it something really that's much safer and, and can be. It's something that actually is a f- become more and more affordable, which I'm pretty excited about. That's for, that's for sure. Uh, but uh, ADSB it sure has been a great in, uh, enhancement. Uh, along with that, uh, another thing is like the RMP, the Required Navigational Performance, uh, and what in the world is that? Uh, it's basically, it's part of that whole what they call the performance-based navigation, uh, and that basically allows you to fly a path uh, between two defined points in space. Well, gosh, we can do that now. What it allows you to do is to do a 3D curving, moving path uh, to a point on the ground using some the required navigational performance that is allowing us to go through hills and get into places that we couldn't uh, at another point uh, in time uh, using using our RNAV, our area navigation system, uh, like a GPS system. They're basically, the area navigation system and the RMP are very, very similar, but the biggest thing about the required navigational performance, the RNP approaches, is the fact that uh, we actually monitor it. It's self-monitored within the device, and you're also alerted to if there's an issue. The, uh, the one cool thing, and I thought this was so exciting, is that there's a RMP of 0.3, which uh, means that you have to you have a required navigational performance of three tenths of a nautical mile. You know, so that whole lateral deviation is just three tenths of a mile full scale deflection. You actually, uh, we the airline that I work for, we actually developed one of the first approaches RMP approaches uh, into JFK Airport. It was the coolest thing, and we wanted to use it because we found that with this RMP approach, it made it much more efficient and saved a ton of gas, helps the environment. Well, the FAA said to us, hey, listen, you know, if you're going to do that, you have to let everybody use it if we're going to publish it. And, and uh, so when it went forward, published that approach, and not only that, it's that kind of started, uh, was one of the things that started this whole push to RMP approaches, and what it, where it helps us, uh, a really great example is kind of like following through a valley uh, and doing an approach into an airport in a valley that you could never have done before because, uh, you know, it would be such a steep path to get in there. This allows you to get down a lot lower. It gets you through portions of that valley you would never want to do otherwise because of the fact that all the other navigational systems that are out there, uh, ground-based especially, wouldn't allow you to get into that airport very very excited uh, about that and uh, so any and uh, one of the things that i think people don't realize is that it's coming uh, and it's uh, really starting to build more into general aviation uh, i should say it's already in general aviation but uh, i think more and more people are having that capability a lot of times you'll see these little rf legs it it does a curving path a lot of times you'll see an approach uh, they call that a radius to fix path and it's really quite interesting i think there's some other airports out there i know i just used the the one but uh what uh, russ is there another example you had of one that is out there in rmp well, one of my favorite RNP approaches is the one to Wenatchee, Washington. The identifier is EAT, EAT. <laughs> but uh, yeah, to the the RNP approach to runway uh, twelve comes. You can see it. It goes around this mountain peak and then down this river valley and then turns on the final. And it's if you look at the other approaches at the airport, you know, like the ILS and such, they have one, but the, the minimums are, are higher and they're limited to category C, you know, category D isn't on it. And 
and a, a bunch of other things that you can see this R&P approach like you were talking about with having those curved flight paths really enables it to enables the airplane to work into the airport easier easily easier <laughs> is that a word <laughs> yeah, yeah easier and um and just the flexibility involved here and being able to get places that couldn't have approaches or had very inconvenient a- approaches before is pretty impressive Oh, it is. And and let's, you know, give credit where credit's due back in, uh, I think it was in Alaska. Alaska Airlines was the first uh, airline to do this type of an approach, an RMP approach. Wow. It, it is allowing people to get into places they never could get into before. Like, like you said, I, I'm glad you brought that up. The lower minimums uh, brings you down uh, to a point where you couldn't, even on an ILS, which is so wild to even think about that. Um, it To me, RMP is just as important as uh, like the LPV approaches and stuff like that. I think it's just just awesome. That's for sure. Uh, but uh, but yeah, is uh, is EAT? Do they have any funny like identifiers along the fixes? Like eat at Joe's or something? Anyway, I, I don't. Know, I just made that up. No, no. not that I'm aware of. And <laughs> <laughs> if you ever notice, a lot of these approaches will do that. But one and I'm not going to go into all the specifics of RMP. I just think it's incredibly important, and uh, it's it's just. It's coming to uh, your aircraft, and it'll make it safer for you to fly. Um, it also there's a little more planning involved. There's a little more heads up because a lot of times it gets you into a uh, in a situation where you might be down in a valley. So you have to be careful if you do discontinue that approach. You know you have to make sure that you still uh, follow the guidance to get out of that situation too. So there's a little, little bit of thinking involved, um, but it's uh, I, like I said, it really is just a wonderful tool, and uh, I, I can't wait to use it more in the future. Another thing that I think has been a wonderful uh, push in the future uh, and something that's changed, I didn't think this was that big of a deal when I first uh, saw it, is basic med. Um, basic med hasn't really affected me, but I know it's affected some of the other folks here on the podcast and listeners. It affected somebody I know uh, just yesterday I was talking to who was able to use basic med to get his medical while he was working out something else that would have precluded him from getting say a class one medical and he's somebody that wanted to go on and uh and fly professionally uh i think basic med uh, and you've heard me talk and interview certain people i know the one interview got a little confrontational i was you know maybe apologize for that but i'm glad it, that uh, the people that were poo-pooing basic med are uh, lost this and hats off to AOPA uh, for doing that. I think uh, Tom, did, did you ever use Basic Med? I'm trying to remember. Um, no, I've not personally used Basic Med. I've, I've had lots of students that have come to me with it, um, and you know, lots of questions, especially when they when first um, became active. Uh, I got a lot of questions. Then it's kind of tapered off. I think people are starting to get uh, a better understanding of, of how to use it and what it's used for, but I've not personally used it. Gotcha. Yeah. And I, I, I love hearing stories about people that it, how it's kind of changed their flying life and it's enabled them to fly some more. Uh, but uh, Victoria, maybe it was you that had the comment about uh, basic med. Yeah, actually, I've noticed a lot of um, older pilots getting back into the air um, just because, you know, it's, it's just an easier process. And uh, I've been getting a lot of questions, obviously, how insurance is affected with using basic med. And for many pilots who 
don't want to just, it can be hard to find an AME. I don't know uh, what it's like for you guys, but last time I got my medical, it was really expensive and it took like three hours of my day. So there's a lot of people that don't want to go through that as well. Um, So I've seen a lot of pilots uh, since, you know, I'm working in insurance asking about it and seeing if it's okay to go that route because it is so much easier and a lot are doing it and most insurance companies are very supportive of it. Uh, The only time I've seen that uh, an insurance company will not accept basic med is maybe if you're in a higher class aircraft um, or a pilot over say 75, they want to make sure you're really healthy when you're flying that plane. So they might want to see a medical from an actual AME. But usually we have ways around it by just moving into another carrier that's a little more flexible. But um, a lot of people seem to be switching to basic med. It's something I answer questions on probably at least three to five times a week. When you talk about the higher class of aircraft, what would be an example of that? Uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember. We had a gentleman, I feel like it was a twin, but I for some reason thought you couldn't have basic mm-hmm. um, med for twins, but I'm not as brushed up on it, but it was something that required annual training, um, an aircraft that, uh, you know, is more of a cross country aircraft than just a little trainer. So something like that, like a twin or uh, maybe like a turboprop, uh, they don't want you to have bas- basic med sometimes, right. um, especially if there's an aircraft that requires annual training, annual IPC, something like that. Gotcha. So, uh, but basic med has changed uh, a lot of lives, and I think it's terrific. And anything that gets more people in the in the airplane and flying is absolutely terrific. One of the things I think that's gone along with basic med is uh, the popularity of uh, not just uh, another certificate, but also the aircraft, and that's actually light sport. Which uh, Victoria, again, you have. I know you guys have a lot of experience with insuring light sport. You've seen, and you've seen it over the years, how popular it's become. And I was just shocked at the uh, the amount that have been uh, sold. And I, I think I now finally understand it. You're getting a brand new airplane with incredible technology. You're getting basically a sophisticated IFR, quote unquote, aircraft uh, for half the price of what you would spend on something else uh, that's uh, certified. So. Uh, Victoria, I know uh, I'm assuming that you've seen a huge uptick in the number of people that are insuring light sport. Yeah, we've been, uh, we were one of the first brokers to actually break into the light sport market. A lot of the underwriters were unsure about the aircraft at first, and we were always there convincing and making sure there was somewhere to place a lot of these um, aircraft. But the light sports really do vary, they are um, inexpensive to fly and uh, inexpensive to purchase um, relatively. But, you know, you think about it, some of these are $100,000 airplanes, so the insurance isn't always the cheapest. Um, You know, they think, oh, this is going to be a super cheap airplane to insure. Well, $100,000 light sport aircraft, which is a lot easier to bang up compared to, let's say, a $25,000 Cessna that is, you know, your typical trainer, you'll see some differences in premium there. So just because... It's um, a cheap aircraft to operate. The insurance isn't always cheaper, but we have a lot of people opting um, to fly light sport aircraft. And not all of them are doing it because of the, the medical. They just they just enjoy these light sport aircraft. 
and they're so advanced i know that uh they're and, and they're kind of cool looking too i mean I, I, honestly i thought at first some of the designs were not very aesthetically appealing i think and uh you know not that it's all about the looks but it's kind of nice to get into a cool looking airplane i don't know about you but <laughs> they're uh, starting to look sportier i think you know there's some that just look like a light sport mm-hmm. cessna you know there's nothing too sexy about a cessna but um there's a few out there you know they you once you get like the low wings and the cool like canopy which is all open you know that's when you're like okay i I dig that yeah i tell you that icon is pretty awesome uh which is under light sport and that's that's pretty phenomenal and by the way that's not even anywhere near a hundred thousand yeah i'm sure you guys have insured some of those yeah those are uh selling for 380 something i believe so and so it's not it's not just the expensive toy it is an expensive <laughs> toy but such a cool toy that's for sure and uh uh you know some people are like well, why would i go out and spend that kind of money it's like some of these other things that, that you see in aviation it's because it's neat it's fun it's fun to fly it's efficient um and you get all the new technology and you can actually fly ifr depending on what you do with the aircraft and we kind of talked about that before if you want to go through the process of of changing uh to, so that you're able to actually fly ifr uh maybe to an experimental etc so something that i think a lot of people don't realize is uh if you uh, the other thing about it is the ballistic recovery shoots i mean that is something that uh has changed dramatically in aviation it was in aviation prior but uh the brs i think has changed the attitudes of maybe not so much just the flyers but our passengers and the fact that you know, I can convince maybe, say, my wife to get into a plane that has a BRS in it and go fly over some areas that uh, are in hospitable terrain. Uh, and we know that we can pull a chute if we have a problem. Also, IFR, you know, people have a way out. So that actually is something that I think has been awesome. Uh, I think I might be talking a little bit about it right now because uh, Cirrus and the whole Cirrus Pilot Owners Association is coming to town in a couple of days. Uh, I forget what they call it, the CPPP, whatever. Uh, and they're all going to be here. And I, I think that's a big point as far as people wanting to purchase one is the shoot i mean tom i think we mentioned that one day is the fact that they really they love the shoot because it's that added level of safety isn't it sure it's even cirrus is one of their one of their taglines shoot happens <laughs> and and <laughs> and i i tell you there's one guy i know who did, did a real good sales uh, pitch on this is that any of the shoots that have been deployed within the operating envelope uh, have actually saved uh, the, the life of the person that's flying. So that's quite important to know. Uh, so there's some that actually have deployed outside of that. I think one was going like 200-something knots, but or 300 knots, whatever it was. Uh, so it really it, it is something that's a game changer, that's for sure. Um, another game changer in the training environment, Tom, while I have you, is talking about this is, uh, and I think you've seen this quite a bit, and I, I'm sure that Russ could comment on this too, since you guys both are really into this, is the whole commercial pilot certificate. How, how has this really changed your training uh, environment or your customer base, the fact that you no longer uh, need to have the commercial done in a retractable uh, or a complex aircraft, I should say? Well, you, you still need to have time in it. What it's done is the rule has made it so that you don't need to have the uh, complex aircraft for the check ride. You, the, the student still needs to um, complete time to get um, uh, complex time. In other words, still get his complex endorsement to, to do the commercial. 
So the onus is now on the instructor. So we, we still have an arrow, but they also have to have, they can do it with that or TAA time as well. Um, and, and that also counts. And, gotcha. and again, it's, it's, it's endorsement based so that, um, when they go to see the examiner, they, um, they have that in their possession and they can continue on with the check ride. It's one of the requirements for it. So that TA, that technically advanced aircraft, an aircraft that has an MFD, a PFD and a dual axis autopilot, that would count. Correct. And Correct. Uh, so the commercial ride itself, you no longer waiting on an airplane because a lot of schools don't have one or if they have one it's just the one uh, complex aircraft and sometimes it doesn't work <laughs> and uh, you have to reschedule your commercial check ride i think that's sure. that's been a big and, well and and like i said now that the student has a choice to either use the to get the complex endorsement or use the taa time um you know it kind of kind of broadens their horizons a little bit about what they can choose and, and how they want to get that done to to get to their commercial so it's made it a little easier. And like I said, the onus is now put on the, the flight instructor before um, he gives the endorsement to take the commercial check ride. Right. So, Russ, have you seen a big change uh, in what's going on in the training environment? What I've seen is a lot a lot of people all of a sudden, hey, I, I don't have to f- hunt and find this retractable airplane because, at least in my area of the country, there's not that many available locally for, for rent or for flight training. So uh, what I saw instantly when this rule passed was all these people are coming to me, hey, you know, can we do this in my Cessna 182? And well, is it a TAA? And we kind of went down the rules there. But Or uh, I'm involved with the flying club here in Oklahoma City and their airplanes, the, ones, uh, the 182, and they have a Saratoga, would do qualify for this uh, as TAAs in this uh, rule. So instantly we were flooded with uh, hey can I train for my commercial and well there's only <laughs> there's only so many hours in a day so <laughs> um, so but but that's that's kind of the effect that we saw and and actually one of the flight schools nearby that had a arrow almost immediately put it up for sale so <laughs> I, I suspect that the the arrow market isn't doing so well right yeah. now but um, but the yeah this this the amount of people that now could train for their commercial certificate who wanted to before but you know they just wanted to do it more more as a hobby maybe and weren't willing to you know travel or something to get it done uh, now are able to do which is fantastic yeah i think it's awesome and uh, the technically advanced aircraft uh, one of the things that i think has happened uh, and i know victoria can speak towards this is uh, it's it's jumped the value i think on some airplanes like the 172s and uh certain pipers and the, you just you can't find one especially one that has a g1000 dual axis autopilot uh it, it has drive i think it's driving the the price up quite a bit hasn't it victoria um, are you mean rental price or, or just a price of purchase? Like when you're out there insuring such a thing, cause I oh. noticed that they've really gone up. Yeah, no prices definitely are on the rise for newer aircraft. I mean, in general, I like this rule because, um, renting, you know, a glass panel or, um, I'm sorry, a retract is, can be quite expensive and difficult to find. So, I mean, it's really helping me out. It's going to save me a lot with my CFI that I have to don't do all this training in the check ride in an aircraft like that. Also, there's a lot of, like you said, the arrows that are out there on the market now and that, for some other reasons too. But uh, it's really been interesting how this kind of shifted overnight. And uh, so I'm hats off to this. I think it's a, it's a terrific ruling, that's for sure. You know, speaking of the insurance 
and the insurance market. I keep hearing this and uh, uh, about the insurance market getting a little bit tighter uh, or whatever. Uh, maybe you could speak towards that because that's actually something that I, I mean, well, I, we had an aircraft that actually was involved in, in an accident and our insurance went down because the value of the aircraft had come down. But I don't see I don't think we're going to see that again, are we? Probably not. Um, unfortunately, my job has been a little bit hard lately that, you know, people are seeing increases, even if they have increased hours, no claims. They're wondering, hey, why did my insurance go up five, 10 percent? Um, historically, the last time the industry hardened like this, it was because a lot of different insurance companies had gotten out of the business. So there was only several companies. Therefore, the rates were raising. And um, it hasn't done that in 10 years. We've been at a 10-year low because there are so many insurance companies offering insurance quotes on all these aircraft. And the competition to get your business is, okay, we're going to bring the rates lower and lower and lower. And I mean, I'm insuring some aircraft that the annual premium is less than what your car is. And that's kind of insane if you're thinking about something that flies is less to insure than your car. Um, but now the the loss ratio, which is essentially the ratio between how much premium is paid and how much they had to pay out in losses combined with, you know, the cost of reinsurance for these companies, they're losing money and there's no way that they can stay in business. So I'm seeing renewals with increases anywhere 5 to 15%. Sometimes helicopters or elderly pilots, their their premiums might be doubling. And um, this is all due to these markets getting pickier about their pricing, pickier about uh, training, pickier about who they're going to insure and what type of aircraft they're going to insure. So there is a lot happening, and it's important to make sure you, you know, have an agent that has access to all these markets and is familiar with these changes because um, it is, it is unfortunately more difficult to get um, like a transition pilot or a strange aircraft insured, and um, you are seeing even if you've done nothing wrong, there there are increases on the horizon. So the, uh, the underwriters, obviously, they're some of the best people to talk to as far as risks and involved in anything. And they have these stats. And like you said, if their loss ratios have gone up so much, uh, the prices will go up to insure certain things. Uh, is there anything, maybe, is there any light to shine on this? Is there any part of the market that's going down, maybe? Oh, I mean, <laughs> I've had a few policies go down. Um you know, if, if you're a new pilot getting into it, it's just fly, 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 get those hours up, get an instrument rating. Instrument rating usually saves you about 10% on your uh, premium. But, uh, you know, I'm still keeping up with it. You know, it, it it's kind of, it's hard to be like, hey, sorry, your insurance went up. But, you know, I do make sure I cover all our basis and give everyone all their options. So, um, nothing I've seen really is going down. Yeah, and that's... Uh, I wish I had better news, but... <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
But I like what you said, though. Get some more, get more ratings. You know, go out there mm-hmm. and and get get an additional rating that'll help you with your. Even though the rates are going up, maybe they won't if you get an additional rating. I get it. Mm-hmm. It's going to cost you more money, but it'll make you a safer and better pilot. So, um, yeah. And they understand that too. That's for sure. And if we pilots as a whole have less claims, you know, over time, that's going to affect the insurance. If they see that, oh wow, retractable gear, um, you know, gear um, gear ups are lowering maybe these retractable gear aircraft will have lower premiums again so who knows where it'll be in the future but if we pilots as a whole are safer and have more experience uh, that could help the whole industry but that takes that's going to obviously take time to adjust so yeah it sure is it sure is well we're we're gonna hopefully get more people to get out there and get more ratings because we want to see you fly some more I know the insurance is higher, and that may, that drives up prices of everything. That's for sure. Um, but that it's interesting how that has changed over the years, and and just uh, I thought they're really low for many years. But I guess uh, maybe the underwriters are coming to their senses, or maybe they're just seeing their the checks and their uh, you know their profits go down. That's probably what's driving that. That's for sure. Yeah, and it's all cyclical, so it might go down a bit again in the next ten years. But right now, it's it's definitely definitely on the rise. So if you Find out your premiums the same or a little bit lower. Count your blessings. <laughs> <laughs> you know, interestingly, the other thing that's uh, kind of gone down, I guess, is the temperature inside airplanes. I've noticed that more and more airplanes have air conditioners, and I've been excited about that. So if you're hot about the prices of insurance, uh, don't worry. There's a way to cool yourself off, and that's the fact that, that more airplanes are made available with air conditioning, and there's a lot more STCs out there. Uh, I never forget since uh, we started this podcast. I actually did a video about a SR twenty two, and I'll never forget popping the the door and the and guy next to me saying, "What are you doing?" I said, "Well, we got to cool the airplane off, don't we?" He says, "No, that's what the air conditioner's for." And when he turned that on, that was a life changer. Being in a small airplane in Florida, having the air conditioner is absolutely phenomenal in a small plane, and the fact that they're getting uh, lighter, more efficient, and more available is absolutely terrific i think it's a it's a wonderful thing um and if you've ever been in like an sr22 or 182 with an air conditioner or you know a seneca whatever uh it really does change things for you i know uh i just spoke with somebody the same person about the baron boy uh it really was a game changer for him he was able to get his wife in the airplane with that air conditioner because said hey listen it's not going to be hot like all these other airplanes that i've had so uh, i think for me that's that's a big one that's why i kind of put that one on the list as as far as some of the changes and the prices coming down there's many different devices and ways to cool down the airplane that's for sure Another item, uh, I think, uh, who was it that mentioned that there's uh, the AOA, the angle of attack indicators that they've been using in jets. And, of course, you know, fighters have been doing this for years using the AOAs. But we're seeing those in small planes. And uh, I think it was Tom. Were you the one that had uh, brought that one up? Yeah. So, I mean, it's starting just since the time that this podcast started. That's one of the things that started becoming more of a proliferation. Um, We... uh, start seeing them at the air shows and everything like that. And they've come up with all sorts of different solutions. And, you know, I think we did talk about it at one time about seeing if they were going to maybe standardize some of those, um, indicators. Um, cause there wasn't a lot of standardization, um, when they first started coming out, I think I'm starting to see more and more of it where it is, but there's still lots of different solutions out there for different types of airplanes and you can get them all the way down into the light sports. And, um, you know, the, everybody just started realizing the, the value of having a, a angle attack in, in the, in the cockpit 
Yeah, I like my favorite, of course, uh, right now that I've seen is the icon. I think that's pretty intuitive. It looks like a wing, <laughs> and, and it uh, is really easy to read. You know, should. absolutely. And, and I think one of their promotional videos with the with the A five is that um, they they flew the plane with just the angle of attack indicator. In other words, they went out and did a test in a controlled environment to to show the value of that particular instrument and that you could fly the plane just on that and safely, you know, get it back on the ground or on the water wherever you were going to land the thing. Yeah, interestingly, too, I, I fly with a lot of Hornet drivers or a lot of uh, F-18 pilots, and they were saying how that's all they flew, you know, on the boat. I mean, you just uh, AOA, you know, you call the ball. There's a lot of other things that they do now, but uh, it's it's phenomenal how it's uh, finally making its way to general aviation. It's making things safer uh, because that's, uh, that's the most important thing. Uh, you know, we talk about any attitude, any airspeed, you can install the aircraft, but now you have actual angle of attack that's in front of you and uh, you can view that which I, I think is absolutely phenomenal uh, just like they have in some of the the jets that are out there so it's come down in price like a lot of different technologies and uh, highly recommend uh, people getting in the airplane just understand you know the one that you have so another great advancement making airplanes and light aircraft a lot safer you know, over the past few years, this has been a lot of fun bringing this podcast, and, and we've seen all these changes, uh, some of the significant changes, but there's been so many more changes. I know, in as you've heard with us, there's so many changes in our flying lives, and, uh, and our lives have been changed through flying, and that's one of the reasons we started this podcast is uh, just to share our love for aviation with all of you and i know that everybody here absolutely uh, loves aviation uh, we're all involved in in many different avenues and areas of aviation some of us fly 800 hours some of us fly eight hours in a year uh, but either way we all have that passion and we love bringing it to you and hopefully we will be bringing you another 200 episodes uh, we might be a, a little bit older when that happens but we'll we'll hopefully still be here and bringing this podcast to you so i want to say thanks to all my co-hosts here and uh I, it's been a a big you know heavy lifting picking this up after you know the person who actually started it and uh and moved forward so we really appreciate him bringing that to us and uh and maybe maybe we'll have him back on the podcast so that, that'd be kind of cool our picks of the week one of the parts of the podcast i think is really great and really cool is our picks of the week and i love bringing these to people because it's uh, it's something that uh, you know i we have a huge list of them and if you ever go on the website you can see all the picks of the week over the years and it's been incredible just com compiling those things so when people are looking for products or or whatever they can actually look there and find those and just just search uh on the search bar on the website and you can actually see us talk about some of these we've mentioned more than once so let, let's go to the after landing checklist in the in the picks of the week and uh, uh i'll start off with my pick of the week is actually it's going to be the florida pilot conference coming up in may 4th may 4th 2019 hopefully every may 4th we'll be having that in orlando florida at the florida hotel and that's actually being, being placed uh, out there by Three Point Aviation. And, of course, Stuck Mike Avcast is one of the big sponsors in Aviation Careers Podcast, a big sponsor of the Florida Pilot Conference. I'll be doing two conferences out there. I'll be doing two of the presentations uh, and departures and arrivals, tips, tricks, and common uh, mistakes. And I'm also going to talk about the 
instrument oral exam and common errors that even airline pilots get wrong. So you're going to really like this one. Uh, some of the things I've compiled over the many years of, of doing interview and interview prep for the airlines, a lot of those questions are just the questions off your instrument check ride. So I think you're going to you really like that. Plus, at the end of the conference, we're going to have Tom Frick. Uh, he's going to be in the conference talking about EFBs. And at the end of the conference, you can hang out with all of us and uh, have some adult beverages. So uh, it's worth it just to go for that. So Florida Pilot Conference, we'll have a link to it uh, in the show notes there. Next one is uh, Victoria. What is your pick of the week? My pick of the week is a YouTube channel, and it's actually uh, some very old videos. They were taken down and then put back up again because people had missed them so much. And it's by Cindy Holman, and she spells her name C-Y-N-D-Y. And it's just private pilot videos. Um, She puts you through. It's kind of like her ground school, just taped. And I found it very helpful because I am studying to become a flight instructor, and she does a lot of... Her explanations are amazing, by the way, but she does them all on um, a whiteboard. So it kind of helped me figure out how I would best visually represent a certain subject to students and how to teach these subjects. And so I found her videos to be amazing, her explanations very clear, and she did some great visualizations I hadn't seen before. So I actually learned something as well. So uh, Cindy Holman uh, just has a YouTube channel and um, private pilot ground school on there. Well, thanks. We'll have links in the show notes at the bottom. Russ, what is your pick of the week? Well, if it's my pick of the week, it must be a book. I do read a lot, <laughs> and uh, this one was was pretty enjoyable. It was uh, called Fighting the Flying Circus by Eddie Rickenbacker. Uh, Eddie Rickenbacker, of course, was uh, America's ace of aces, the top uh, top ace in World War One, as well as a commander of 94th uh, Squadron and went on later to a very successful career in, in uh, commercial aviation as well. But the interesting thing about this book is it, it he wrote this in 1919 so right after the war and he he had kept journals of of his combat missions and and some of the events surrounding uh you know kind of the life of a world war one fighter pilot and and he kept you know pretty good journals and he kind of put them all together and made it into a into very readable book uh just just the difference in um operations and and how things were uh, conducted back then it was just amazing to me. I mean, I, I was in the Air Force for a while, and you know now everything is very tightly controlled and such. But back then, they would do, go do their patrol mission, and then later in the day, if they had some spare time, they were able to just go up and fly and see if they could find any uh, you know German planes to you know tangle with, and and it was it was kind of a free for all, which was really pretty interesting to me. But just a lot of all the the signs of the time stuff in the book and what it was like. I mean, this is a hundred years ago now that this book was written. Um, so really pretty, pretty fascinating. Um, it's, it's a real expensive book. It's available on Amazon. The Kindle version is 99 cents. So not, not a big outlay of cash <laughs> or you, or you can see if your local library has it on their digital download site, but, but yeah, Eddie Rickenbacker's fighting the flying circus. So highly recommended. 
Of course, we'll have a, a link to that in the show notes. And, uh, and yes, we do get a commission on that and helps us bring you this podcast. So, uh, check out that 99 cents. It'll, uh, you know, help us bring this, this show to you just a little, any little bit helps, but it's also, uh, sounds like a really cool book. Uh, Russ, the, the most well-read pilot I think out there is always bringing this book. So I think that, <laughs> Sometimes I think so. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome though. I think it's terrific. Uh, I learned so much uh, from listening to your picks of the week. That's for sure. Especially in books. I love books. Uh, so that'll be my next one for on the road. That's for sure. Uh, so Tom, what is your pick of the week? So I was keeping up with the edification of uh, podcasters, and you know, I'm always inspired by all the books that that uh, Russ is reading, and have have tried to follow suit on those. So I found one as well, and and I was I was reading this one, and you know, it's 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 something a little different, but it, it's definitely about flying. So the name of the book is Inside the Sky. It's a meditation on flight. Um, it's kind of dated. It was written. It's copyrighted in 1998. Um, but the author is William Langevich. And if that name sounds familiar, um, his father was uh, Wolfgang Langevich, who wrote Stick and Rudder, which, you know, I mean, is the one of the still one of the quintessential flying books. So um, the fact that his son was an author as well and, and wrote about his perspective in the sky, um, basically, you know, he, he talks about, you know, the idea of, um, you know, uh, what a pilot feels and sees and, and observes as he's flying a plane, you know, and, and trying to put that into a, a perspective and, uh, you know, just the way that he writes about it is something that, you know, we as pilots kind of can, can, um, relate to. So it's, it's a good read. And I thought I'd put it out there as a pick of the week. Inside the Sky, Meditation of Flight, William Langovich. That's uh, awesome. Hopefully I said that right. Close enough. Um, it, it's really amazing how much uh, this, this author has actually come out with in the past uh, you know, decades. So really good pick of the week. Thanks so much about that, Tom. Uh, Rick, Rick Felty, what is yeah. your pick of the week? Well, my uh, my pick of the week this this time is uh, also a YouTube channel, and I don't know if we've mentioned this before, and I uh, but if we have, I'll just mention it again. But it's a channel called Aviation One Hundred and One, um, and it's it's great stuff. It, you know, I'm always having done this. You know, when I flew, putting the videos together was sort of something that I was into, and that you know, many many more people now are doing that. GoPros prices have come down and multi-camera productions are happening and this is a good example of that but in addition to how well uh, shot these flights are they're also training flights in many ways so very careful attention to situational uh, explanations of what's you know what's the point of what, what am i trying to show you in this video um crossing you know busy airspace communicating with atc um navigating in in mountainous terrain um each one kind of has a nice focus. They're 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 long but enjoyable. You're you're there and you're hearing a lot of detail. Uh, some of them are training videos actually, where the where the CFI uh, is with a student. Uh, but all in all, it's a variety of things, a variety of places, well produced and um, and it's just a lot. You know, it's another one of those things you can learn from, even if you even if you've learned a lot. So uh, it's called Aviation 101 on YouTube. Really good. Yeah, and, that, and thanks so much for that one. I know mean, Rick in the past. I've I've watched a lot of your videos, and uh, you, you were kind of one of the first people to start doing that in, in aviation, especially with all the different camera angles that that I I saw. That it was really interesting. It's amazing uh, how yeah. many talented people there are out there that have have really bring it to the to fore, and it's it's been terrific. I think. Right, right, and I, I just like the level of detail here 
because there's a lot of great explanation going on. The, and that takes another level of production even after you're back on the ground. So uh, well done. Yes, yeah, and uh, and we love that. It's out of uh, Georgetown, Texas, actually. It's uh, really done some great videos in the past, but even these are like 10 times better. So awesome. Aviation 101, I'd love to watch the channel too. Uh, Larry, what is your pick of the week? Yeah, well, I've got a pick of the week, and then I've got a quick short story for you. Um, uh, pick of the week. As, as you know, Carl, we've been uh, in Texas for several months, and now we're starting our slow journey towards Lakeland, Florida for Sun and Fun. Um, and along the way, if you cross over on 10, you're bound to go through New Orleans. And so my wife and I, Mary Beth and I, were, uh, were there a couple weeks ago. And uh, one of the things that we had a chance to stop and see was the World War II Museum uh, that's there. The National World War II Museum is there in New Orleans. And um, it was really uh, cool to see how they represented the aviation portion of World War II. Um, You walk in uh, and, you know, before you can even buy your admission tickets, you look straight up and there's a C-47 hanging above your head. And um, then walking through both the um, the European theater and the Pacific theater, um, there were a lot of original, you know, newsreels and, and old black and white uh, movies footage of uh, various um, uh, aviation-oriented uh, portions of the war, as well as all other parts of the war as well. And so there were, you know, segments on the Red Tails and, and things like that. But it was just a really uh, good museum. Uh, it was well worth the time to go through. We enjoyed it a lot. And if you're in the area, uh, uh, New Orleans area, I would recommend it for anybody who who might uh, have an interest in that. And then a quick little story. Um, you know how you have one of those experiences where you hear a voice and you, you kind of think, I, I know that voice. Where, you know, who is that? But it's really familiar to you. I had one of those just tonight. Um, I was doing some work uh, before we started recording here and I, and I heard a voice. I, I was listening to the radio and heard this voice um, uh, doing an interview. And uh, I, I realized it was, it was our own Carl Valeri doing an interview with Mike Carrolls, uh, who, of course, is the host of the Why We Fly podcast. Um, but the radio station I was listening to was Sun and Fun Radio. And so, you know, as we said at the top of the uh, uh, show, uh, Sun and Fun is coming up, uh, you know, April, what, 2nd to 7th of 2019. And uh, Sun and Fun Radio will be there. We'll all, you know, many of us will be there. Maybe not all of us, but probably we'll all be there at least, um, uh, you know, uh, remotely, if not physically on the grounds. Um, but it was just fun today to, you know, turn on Sun and Fun Radio, uh, liveatc.net slash SNF, and uh, just start getting in the mood, you know, listening to some of those interviews that, that we've, you know, heard maybe before, or maybe some that we haven't heard. Um, but that's just what I happened to pop up in the middle of. And Mike was talking about his uh, 50th episode, and I just looked at his website tonight, and he's up to episode 65 now. Um, so we'll have to have him up on the deck next, you know, this coming uh, Sun and Fun, and and see what he's talking about then. Well, we'll definitely have him there. And it's uh, sorry I can't get my voice out of your head, Larry. But <laughs> <laughs> it, it is—it's so much fun. It gets me in a happy place when I listen to liveatc.net/snf. And 
Um, you know, if I'm ever kind of feeling down about aviation, I love to listen to the interviews that are on there. There's so many talented people on Sun and Fun Radio from all different walks of life. And a lot of those folks that are on there uh, or do other uh, radio shows out there, uh, whether it's diet, it could be uh, religious, it could be something that's sports related, uh, but they all come together and are part of this passion, which we call aviation. So I'm glad you brought that up and we'll put a link to uh, liveatc.net slash SNF. And we can't wait to, to bring Sun and Fun a big event every year and it uh, keeps getting bigger. We'll also have uh, another uh, shout out to the folks at the, the Airplane Geeks are going to be out there. Uh, so the Airplane Geeks will be there live on, on the deck too. So I'm pretty excited to have them out there. There's a lot of new stuff coming up. Thanks for that. And also the World War II Museum awesome i mean that that's uh it really uh in world war ii had a significant impact aviation did uh as as it does on on most wars but it really uh i think it was a big turning point uh as far as as the use of airplanes and also uh, was a turning point in the technology and aircraft that was used even to further uh the peace missions moving forward there was so much that was done after that and that, that is depicted yeah. in the world war ii museum which i think is really yeah, cool one- yeah, just one other thing about the World War II Museum, and we'll have this in the link, um, but they have a lot of online content as well. So even if you can't get to New Orleans, you know, definitely go to the link. There, there's a lot of content that they share there that, um, you know, maybe, you know, at the at the point this podcast started, you know, 200 episodes ago or whatever, um, you know, the websites uh, maybe for a museum like this weren't quite as good. And so that's uh, maybe another thing that's improved since back then. <laughs> That's for sure. The media has definitely improved, and there's so much more out there. And uh, like with Stuck Mike Avcast, we love bringing this to you, just like all the other podcasts that are out there. There's so many new ones. There's so many new channels in aviation, and uh, there's there's some really, really talented people out there, and we love to bring them all into the aviation fold. And uh, we also can't wait to see you at Sun and Fun. Make sure you stop by and say hi to us. We'll have a, another episode before that one. Uh, but we really enjoy bringing this to you, and we can't wait to bring another 200 episodes to all you folks uh, that listen. And we just love doing this for you, and I love bringing out our passion for aviation. And hopefully we inspired you to do something in aviation. Well, folks, thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you next episode, and safe flying. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production. Thank you.